Please keep your Bibles open to James chapter 3. And inside of that announcement sheet, you're going to find the, uh, the sermon outline that we'll use as we go through this study this morning out of the text that Russ just read for us. But also, while you're doing that, call your attention to a, another card and insert that was inside of that announcement sheet this morning. It is the 2013-2014 financial plan. And uh, not, I'm not going to spend any time talking about it, but just to call your attention to the fact that the, uh, the weekly budget as well as the yearly budget that's going to begin this next week, March 1st, uh, that's, that's going to be $25,610 a week with a yearly budget of about $1.3 million. And then on the back, you're going to find the breakdown of that. And what I'm going to ask you to do is uh, to put this in place where you can be reminded to, uh, to pray for all of our ministries and for all of those people that, uh, that administer the ministries that, that this money will be used in ways that bring glory to God and that we will be faithful and that we will be fruitful in all that we do as a church. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, how great it is that we can come together in this place and we can open up our Bibles and read these words that come from eternity, even in our own day. This is Your Word, Father. Your Word. Before it ever was penned, before it ever was transmitted from a mind through a hand to a piece of paper, these words were, were birthed and created in Your mind and in Your heart. And they have come to us and we trust this Word. And it's this Word, Father, that helps us to shape our lives and to order our days and our thinking and our steps in such a way that along with Your Spirit that dwells in us, we are sanctified, we're radically revolutionized into the likeness of Jesus, all to Your glory and to our benefit and blessing. We pray to be this kind of light. We pray to be this kind of individual, a disciple of Your Son Jesus that is wise in our understanding of all of life. And so to this end, Father, as we study, we pray to have eyes that see and ears that hear that we turn toward You with all that we are and are changed. Bless us, Father, this way. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. The general epistle of James is teaching the difference between the profession of faith and the possession of faith. This is a problematic church that James is writing to. They're divided. They are in danger of doing great harm to each other spiritually. They are in danger of doing great harm to the beauty that the bride is supposed to exhibit in the community wherever it's found throughout the world, throughout whatever age. There is a difference, church, between merely subscribing to the faith. That is, we intellect, intellectually accept the fact that there is a God, there is a Christ, there is a Spirit, there is a Bible, there is a church, and there are some truths found in it. There is more to Christianity than just subscribing to the faith. It has to be a working faith. That is, a faith that is working its way through our lives, every nook and cranny of our heart, soul, and spirit, and mind, and body. And you know, one of the most evident, one of the areas where it's most evident in human beings, in the human experience, our interaction with, with the Christ and with God, is how faith influences words. 
when you take this general epistle known as James and you go through every chapter, you will find James addressing how we speak, the use of our words, the, the, the practice, uh, that we find in the church of encouraging or, or sometimes the negative ones of grumbling and murmuring. You will find teaching, positive and negative, about our words, about the mouth, about our tongue, our conversation in every chapter. You know, during the time of the Holy Roman Empire, one of the things that was, that was really astounding about these emperors was their ability to rule not just over vast areas of the earth, but to, 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 to reign and to rule over a, a wide div, uh, diversity, a variety of individuals who spoke all kinds of different languages. There was, there was German and English and Spanish and Portuguese and Italian and French, all part of the Holy Roman Empire. And there was one in the 13th century, a, a, an emperor, a king by the name of Frederick II, that, that got that. He saw that, that he, he spent most of his day ruling people, the majority of which did not personally speak his own language. And he got to thinking about all of those different languages that, that were all a part of the church, and he, and he came up with this, this, this question in his mind that was basically, if you took language away and allowed a, a kiddo to grow up without any language, what language would they speak? And he wondered, if that were the case, this kiddo was allowed to, to be raised up without any language, would he learn to speak the language of the Garden of Eden? And so he decided to follow through on that experiment. He took 50 kids, uh, 50 babies from birth, took 50 babies, and he, and he sequestered them away from really most of, of, of society. The only contact they had were with people that would take care of them, would clothe them, clean them, hold them, nurse them, you know, all these kinds of things. The only thing that they did not have was conversation. They lived in, in the silence of words. They could hear birds, they could hear trees, they could hear, but they did not hear human words. The outcome of that experiment was that all 50 of those babies died. The point is that words are more powerful than we think they are. Think about the very first things we discover in our Bible. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. And what is it that the Bible tells us about God? That God is one and that God does what? He speaks a word. And in speaking a powerful word, it's not just any word, it's God's word. It's a powerful word. It's a, it's a creative word. And when God speaks that word, there is a heaven and an earth that is created. It's a powerful word. And then we find out that as He creates human beings, He decides that He's going to make them in His own image. Which means that words are important to human beings. But here's the thing. Humans are vulnerable to words. Think about it this way. Because we have to eat and drink and breathe, we are vulnerable. Just think about the food for just, just a second. We have to eat good food. There has to be the intake of good food that is nourishing to us in order for us to flourish, in order for us to thrive and to grow and to get bigger and to mature and to live our lives. But as soon as we begin to take in the poisonous food and we begin to take in toxins, foods that are not good, foods that are toxic to us, what happens? We're vulnerable to death and disease and getting sick. Same thing is true with words. Anybody who ever had a good coach, anybody who ever had a great teacher, anybody that grew up in a household where you had parents that encouraged you, 
good words are important to flourishing and thriving as a human being. They nourish your soul. There are words that nourish your personality and your character and your mind. But at the same time, there are those that have grown up with not so great coaches and not so great teachers and not so great parents. And those words that were spoken did great injury. Human beings are vulnerable to words. I mean, the words can go all the way in. They can sink into us. Words can do great injury to us. And so James says in James chapter 3 and verse 5, Likewise, the tongue, it's a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. And then in verse 9, he says, With the tongue, you know, we praise the Lord and Father, and with it we do what, church? We do what? We praise God and we also curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Those little samplings right there from God's Word should, should, should have an impact on the way that we feel about our words, whether or not we're speaking them or we're writing them in a blog or we're writing them on Facebook or we're writing them in some kind of an email. Those words of God through James should frighten us a little about the use of of our words in the way that we convey ideas. One of the first lessons my father ever taught me about, about being considerate and thinking about my words, he says, you know, when you say something that you want to take back, it's like trying to unring a bell. You can't do it. Or trying to unscramble an egg. There are just some things that you can't undo. This last Sunday morning in the family February class over in the fellowship hall, uh, Kirby and Richard had all of the families with their, their, their little ones have a, a, a tube of toothpaste and they squeezed out all of that toothpaste and then they tried to, with a spoon, try to put that toothpaste back in that tube. And the object lesson was this. You know, sometimes toothpaste, like our words, words like toothpaste are easy to get out but nearly impossible to get back in. And you know as well as I do that there are times when you heal from the terrible words that have been said to you but the scar persists. There's healing, but there is always that scar. And that's why words reveal more than we think about who we are and, and, and more about our God than we wish they did. The first part of James is about the power of, of James chapter 3 is about the power of our words. The second half of that chapter is about wisdom. The point being that the use of our words is not disconnected from a life of wisdom. That's why James asked in, in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you when it comes to the use of words? Well, let him show it by his good life, by his deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. There is a connection between words and your life throughout the Bible. On Sunday mornings in the family class that, that John and, and Daryl are teaching, They've been going through the Proverbs. You read those Proverbs and every day, you read a chapter every day through 31 days, you've got the entire book of Proverbs read. One of the main lessons is the use of words and how words can bind up people's hearts and how words of foolish words, toxic words, mean-spirited words, hostile words, the words of enemies, careless words can just devastate people's lives. And even Jesus Himself has strong things to say, and strong teachings about the use of our words. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 and following, He says, you know, when it comes to, to understanding what it's like to be a disciple, He says, you know, understand this, you make a tree good and its fruit will be good. 
Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Let me say that one more time. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men, but I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of what, church? On the day of judgment. On the day of judgment, you will have to give an account for every careless word you have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Your words reveal what's in your heart. They reveal what is on the inside of you. It is a fact that out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. The problem, though, is that our hearts have been compromised. In James chapter 3 and verse 10, he says, You know, out of one side of your mouth, you're praising God. Out of the other side of your mouth, you're cursing men who are made in His likeness. The very next verse, he says, Can sweet water and, and salt water come out, brackish water come out of the same spring? The point is this, if we don't address this problem, church, as individuals, as individuals, as disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, then the danger is our hearts will spew forth words that curse others and in the end condemn us. God cares about what we say. God cares about our words. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 16, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. The psalmist, Psalm 15, beginning in verse 1, says, Lord, a couple of very important questions. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? And who may live on your holy hill? The answer, he whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander, and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man. The problem, though, church, is that Satan knows all too well the destructive power of the tongue. I can't tell you the number of times that I've been in a conversation with, 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 with my wife, with my children, with my friends, with, with, uh, with, with people out in the community, and we've been having a significant discussion of some sort, and I knew I was right, and I was right, until I opened my mouth. Have you ever done that? I mean, you know that your arguments are sound. You know that you have the truth. You were there. You had the facts and all these kinds of things. I mean, you know the truth of what happened. Or you have the truth of, of, of the perspective that you need to have to, to understand something rightly. And everything's right until you open your mouth. 
And what comes out is destructive or it's dividing, it's divisive, it, it, it fragments relationships. Satan knows all too well the destructive power of the tongue. And the perpetual temptation that we're going to face is going to be the misuse of the tongue. The temptation that you probably for the rest of your life, unless, and, 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 and I'm not sure it's possible to overcome this where you'd never hear this as a temptation, but the temptation is going to be, to, it's going to hear, you're going to hear Satan whisper, Open your mouth. Say something. That is always going to be the temptation. The problem is, as James tells us in chapter 3, is that the tongue is set on fire by hell itself. Listen to James's rhetorical question again. Who is wise? Who has understanding among you? Last point. Not only do our words reveal more than we think, words require more wisdom than we have. Psalm 141 and verse 3 says, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. I played football for 10 years. And just as important as that helmet was, uh, the, the shoulder pads, the cleats and all of that, was the mouth guard. And you were not allowed to get into the game. You were not allowed to play. You were not allowed to get onto the field unless you had that mouth guard. Why? Because there was always the danger that something bad was going to happen with your mouth. You couldn't go out onto the field unless you had your mouth guard. And that's what the psalmist says. Set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You know, we try to tame the tongue, right? I mean, there's probably not a day that goes by, a week that goes by, where we, we don't in, in our prayer time or in our quiet time where we're meditating or you know, reflective over the kind of life that we're living and our interactions with people in the community that we go, you know what, I, just, I wish I didn't say the kinds of things that I say sometimes. And we're not happy with the results. And we try to live that guarded life. You know, we're going along and we're guarding, we're guarding, we're guarding, we're guarding our tongue, we're guarding our mouth and everything's going fine, we know when to be quiet, we know when to be quiet, and then all of a sudden there's an unguarded moment when we're driving down 410 at rush hour. Or somebody cuts in line at Starbucks. Or somebody, you know, you're, this happened to me the other, the other day at La Quintera. Uh, we, were, we were going over there to, uh, to pick something up, and uh, I'm about ready to turn down an aisle to, to take a parking spot that somebody's pulling out of, and I'm waiting, and as traffic goes by, I've got my signal on and all these kinds of things. And here comes another car from Utah. <laughs> and I'm sitting there with the, with the blinker on. And that car pulls out and takes off. And that car from Utah doesn't even stop and pulls right into that spot. Now, I was guarded in what I said. But, man, I laid down into that horn. <laughs> And then I drove on. And then I looked at Ella. I said, can you believe that I did that? It's, it's, it's parking at Lock and Terra. Nobody dies. We need to connect the use of our tongue to a wisdom for living. And in the biblical sense, wisdom has to do with relational things much more than with technical things. Wisdom in the Bible is not so much about what you know as how you live. 
Now, one of the things that James has already told us about the, about the tongue is that, or about our mouth is that out of it, out of one side can be the sweet water and out of one side can be the, the, the salt water or the brackish water or the toxic water. You know, the tongue is really just the bucket. Your tongue is just a bucket. It's only bringing up out of the well of your heart what's already in there. The question is, is the water that's in your well, are the, 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 the thoughts about living and, and the thoughts about actions and the thoughts about other people, are they sweet or are they poisonous? And the point that James is trying to make is this, the right kinds of words come from the right kind of life. A life that is being sanctified, a life that is, is growing in its discipleship, a life that is growing in its understanding of God's Word, a life that is surrendering more and more and more to the Spirit of Christ that is in us. So he says, again, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. You have to choose what kind of life, that is, what kind of heart you're going to have. And what James says in verse 8 is that the tongue cannot be controlled by man. But it is controlled, and you have two options. One is it's by Satan or it's by God. Those are your options. Those are the two kinds of wisdom that James gives you to choose from. If it's earthly and unspiritual and demonic, you know, sometimes we don't really think about that gossip or that slander or the, the, you know, the, the terrible, you know, mean-spirited words that we say about somebody else as having a demon behind it, do we? But James is pretty blunt. He says, you know, there's only two kinds of wisdoms. There's an earthly kind that's unspiritual and has a demon behind it, or it's the kind that comes from heaven. And if that's the kind of wisdom, that earthly, unspiritual, demonic kind of wisdom, then what you're going to see evident in your life is this bitter envy. I mean, it's going to be fights that are going to be started out of rivalry, which means that I can't let anybody get ahead of me. I can't let anybody even get equal with me. I can't let anybody, you know, I can't let anybody in. I mean, if James was probably writing in the 21st century, he would say, drama, drama, drama. Or it's selfish ambition that you're always pushing somebody away, pushing somebody, and you're using your words to do it. And the result is disorder. I mean, the relationships are always messed up. There are evil practices that are rampant in your, in your life and in your relationships and even in the church. Or it's a heavenly kind of wisdom. And with that kind of wisdom, there's a transformed life where it becomes peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. The kind of life that James describes here that's found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 where Paul says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. That word unwholesome is kind of a cleaned up version of the word that he's using. It's a word that means don't let any words come out of your mouth that decay other people's flesh and life. Don't let any rotten words that are festering with death come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. You know, a funny thing happened on Pentecost, didn't it? In Acts chapter 2. You know, the Spirit comes down on the apostles. 
and, and the church discovers a new way of speaking to one another. And Paul will talk about it later in, 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 in Colossians and Ephesians about you know, the church needs to learn how to talk to each other with, you know, in, this, you know, in spiritual ways. But what was really unique about that Pentecost experience in Acts 2 is that here are all of these people that have gathered together and the Spirit falls on these disciples of Jesus and they begin to speak the gospel in all of these different ways that everybody there could hear it in their own language. And the way that everybody knew that they were speaking the words of God was that there was, you know, as the Spirit came down, it looked like there were what? Flames of fire. Wouldn't that be a great thing to have today? And you're, you're out there in the, the foyer in the family room and you're talking to each other. You see two people talking to each other and there's a flame over their head. Hey, you're having a godly conversation. And then you see Mark Abster driving his truck down 410 and he's saying something, but there's no flame. <laughs> Wouldn't that be kind of a great thing to have is, is to have that kind of a monitor? Well, how do you get it? Well, the first thing you do is you pray. You pray. You know, if James says in the, in the fifth verse, the, the fifth verse of the entire book, he says, if you lack wisdom, what should you do? Ask. Ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to Him. And then the second thing you do, and there are more things we could talk about, but we'll close with this. You pray about this. Lord, give me wisdom. I want to be a wise person, not only in the way that I make decisions about money and the ways that, that I, 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 I am in my relationships with encouragement and all these, but Father... I want to be able to be wise in looking at the life of Christ and understanding it. You know, you go uh, into Bastrop this past year. Beautiful area, gigantic pine trees. Beautiful, beautiful area. And you turn the corner and next thing you know, it's nothing but just black scorched earth. Trees exploded. And, 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 and it, it hits you that here was, in, in this part of the world, a beautiful, beautiful spot. I mean, God had spent centuries you know, growing these trees up and making them beautiful to His glory. And then there was just one little spark, one little match, one little, one little spark that destroyed all of that. The problem is that we're guilty of verbal arson. We're guilty of verbal arson. And we pray for wisdom and we look at Christ and what do we see? There's Jesus in that situation, that circumstance in life where most of us would want to grab that sword. He says, put it away. We want to put up our dukes. We want to argue. We want to fight. We want to scream. We want to rail against the injustice. What is it that Jesus does in front of His accusers? He remains silent even to the point that His accusers say, Hey, don't you know that I have the power to let you go? But Jesus speaks the truth in grace. And they're pounding those nails into Him and it's so unjust and He's the most sensitive man that ever lived. And because He's so sensitive, the more it, it pained Him and the more it grieved Him. And where every other martyr in the world is screaming out curses against those that, that, are, that are executing Him, Jesus turns His words towards God and towards men and says, Father, forgive them. Regardless of the circumstance, the model of Christ 
is to use words to reconcile, to bind up the, the wounds of a relationship that has gone wrong, a, a relationship that has been exploded. Because somebody listened to the wrong kind of words and said, you know what? I think I really do want to be God. I think I really do want to eat of that forbidden fruit. And here, why don't you eat of it? And the other one said, yes, I think I will. And from that point on, that relationship has been disrupted and destroyed and devastated and crunched and crushed. And as we were making Him a massacre and crushing Him for our iniquities and making Him look in that, in that, in that crucifixion, making Him look so utterly detestable that men turned their eyes from Him, His words were not curses but forgiveness. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. And, and maybe you need to respond to the words of the Gospel that you know without a shadow of a doubt that, that the, the life that you're living is a ruinous kind of life. It means that you're, you're frustrated. It means that you're stressed out. Your heart is full of anxiety. Your relationships are fragmented. It seems like you're always in a fight or in some kind of a tussle. It's drama, drama, drama wherever you go in whatever relationship. And you realize that it's because you're not right with God that nothing else is ever going to be right in your life. We give you the opportunity to come down and talk to our shepherds about how to get right with God this morning. Or it might be that, that you're just really convicted by the fact that, you know what, maybe for the first time in my life, maybe for the first time today, I realize the importance of my words and that I'm either going to be condemned or acquitted by my words. That my words in no way have been reflecting the Spirit of the Christ in me. And yet I see Him on the cross. And yet I see Him on the cross. 